uh, this is what the Lord has laid on my heart in the course of the morning. Early in prayer, he led me to John chapter 3, verse number 22 through verse number 30. I want to preach this morning on the discipline of decrease. John chapter number 3, verse number 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near, the, near, near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. For ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath, he gives us a parable in verse number 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Thank you, you can be seated. Heavenly Father, the task that you have given me today is an intimidating task. I don't know that I have enough in my heart and in my mind to give a treatment to this passage that it deserves. And so, Father, I must trust the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Father, if you do not give us power, there'll be no preaching. And Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have set before us in this passage and father i pray the words of david open thou mine eyes that i may behold wondrous things out of thy law i'm so thankful for the inspiration of the bible and i pray today for the illumination of the bible that you would illuminate our hearts to the truth that is on this page and father i stand in a place that i cannot do what you have called me to do unless you give me your touch and so I pray that your hand will rest upon me. And we pray these things in the name that is above every name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray this prayer in that exalted name, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The discipline of decrease. I use the word discipline with a purpose for the title of the message. Make no mistake about it, decrease is certainly a discipline. Truth be told, the majority of the people that are in this auditorium this morning will never embrace it because it is not attractive. It doesn't get you on the platform. It doesn't set you in front of the people. But the terms of verse number 30 are written into the constitution of God's purpose for our lives he must increase he must increase and I must decrease 
Writers have called the statement of verse number 30 a proverb, an axiom, a truism. Among the academics that know what verse number 30 contains, it is celebrated for poetic balance, that at the same time he increases, we decrease. But it's not the grammatical structure or the linguistic form that gives weight to the statement that is made in verse number 30. Rather, the weight that is given to the statement of verse number 30 comes from the person who said it. It was John the Baptist that made the statement, he must increase and I must decrease. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist was the greatest man that had ever been born. Jesus said, among the men that have been born of women, and I'm pretty sure that includes us all, unless you were hatched out of a dinosaur egg, you were born of a woman. The Bible says to us, among those that are born of women, there have never risen a greater than John the Baptist. John was decreasing when he made this statement. No matter how great, decrease will eventually visit all of us. No matter what age you are, it may be in your elder years, the golden years of your life, and some certainly face decrease in their youth. Life shows us that decrease is inevitable. John's ministry has been likened to a shooting star. I was with a friend over in Mississippi, in fact, uh, with Pastor uh, Chris Simpson, uh, Brother Hewitt was there with us, and I remember him making statements about John the Baptist that I jotted down very quickly, and I'd like to share with you a couple of those statements this morning. Brother Simpson said that John the Baptist's ministry was like a shooting star, known for its brightness, known for its brilliance, but also known for its brevity. It was very short. There is a context that I must share with you that demonstrates the truth behind verse number 30. It's essential that we grasp the context that brings verse number 30 to the surface. You realize as well as I do from reading verse number 22 through verse number 30, in this text we find both John and Jesus baptizing. In fact, they are baptizing in the same area because there is much water there. Can I take a time out right now and uh, charge some Baptist doctrine for a while? You have to have a lot of water to baptize. It can't be a cup of water or just a bowl of water. You have to have a body of water to baptize someone because we baptize by immersion. We don't baptize by sprinkling. We go down into the water together and we completely immerse the candidate for baptism in the water and the Bible tells us that Jesus both Jesus and John have chosen this area of Judea to baptize because there is much water there the Bible tells us they are baptizing alongside one another in fact the Bible tells us that actually Jesus never baptized but rather his disciples were doing the baptizing in fact if you'll flip a page over to chapter 4 and John verse number 1 through verse number 3 we read these words when therefore the Lord Jesus when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples he left Judea and departed again into Galilee back in chapter number 3 the Jews and some of John's disciples were busy making that a sore fact for John. 
that Jesus was now baptizing more candidates than he was. Ministry had become a scoreboard for these disciples. The scoreboard of the Lord. And they, they seem to be more interested in posting how many baptisms they have. They seem to be interested in... Po hey man, I may make some enemies this morning. They seem to be interested in posting how many conversions and baptisms just for the sake of, of uh, advertising in a number. We read in verse number 26 of this chapter, They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come together. Now notice with me, and I know that I'm going to touch a nerve when I say this, that the problem is not between John and Jesus. The problem is between John's disciples and the disciples of Jesus. Uh, it is apparent that John never felt superior to Jesus. John never exalted himself above the Lord Jesus. In fact, it was John that said at the baptism that he that cometh after me is more worthy than me. Matter of fact, he said, I'm not even worthy to unloose the shoes that are on his feet. He is greater than me. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 16 that the, the multitude was questioned on who Jesus was. Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And the very first statement out of Peter's mouth was, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say that thou art Elias. Some say that thou art Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Now, everybody in here knows that the apostle Peter had a mouth that was shaped like a foot. He often said things that were stupid and uneducated. But if he ever said anything right, he said it right in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't just stop by equaling him to Old Testament predictions of who the Messiah would be. He said, You're not just the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, he said, flesh and blood didn't show you that, son. He said, my father gave you that revelation directly from heaven. The Bible tells us that Jesus' ministry and the ministry of John were almost identical. In fact, they were confused often in society. Some said that when Jesus was ministering after the death of John the Baptist, that he was John raised from the dead. And so there was equality. There was a sense of, uh, are y'all getting anything out of this today or am I just shooting in the dark? There was a sense of equality among these men that one never intruded on the other man's ministry and the other never intruded or interfered in Jesus' ministry and vice versa. There was no problem between John and Jesus. As a matter of fact, it was Jesus that said, John is the greatest that has ever been born of a woman. But this was a sore spot with their followers. When Jesus started baptizing more than John, the disciples tried to create a rivalry between those two men. Boy, I'm going to have to be careful this morning. I thought this was going to be an encouragement, but I might have to poke the bear for a little while this morning. Uh, we are watching a lot of that in our movement. We're watching a lot of contention rise in our movement on the basis of who's the greatest. You remember three times in the Gospels the disciples said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Every time Jesus said, 
It's one less than you think it is. It's not you. In fact, they got so, they got so in overwhelmed with this idea of greatness and their covetousness to be great that they actually sent Mary to Jesus to ask him who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of your kingdom. And Jesus said, it's neither one of you fellas. He said, you can't die the death that I have died. Amen. Are y'all listening to me this morning? We make a sore mistake when we contend one with another about who's going to be the greatest. Doesn't matter who's the greatest preacher in this meeting. Doesn't matter which is the greatest church in this meeting. Doesn't matter who preached the best message in this meeting. What matters is that he increases. And his increase will always be proportional. Amen. It will always be proportional to our decrease. I tell you what we need in meetings like this and meetings I preach in all up and down the East Coast more of him and less of us. More of Christ and less of us. More of him and his power. More of him and his truth. More of him. The Bible said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. You know why so many people leave meetings with such restlessness? Because it's about men instead of the Messiah. He must increase. He must increase. Y'all getting anything out of this this morning? He must increase. And I must decrease. You see, John's envious disciples saw Jesus as a competitor. John's envious disciples saw Jesus as a competitor. They felt that the rise in the ministry of Jesus was at the expense of John's ministry. Their bias is seen in the exaggerated words, the use of the word all in verse number 26. They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And notice what it said, and all men, all come to him. That was a sore spot. Boy, oh my, my, my. That was a sore spot because there were some people John wouldn't baptize. There were some people that John said to them, don't come over here and get in the water with me until you bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And the disciples were saying, the disciples were saying, well, Jesus will baptize anybody. Now, we know better than that. Jesus will baptize anybody, but John's got these high standards on baptism where he won't baptize Pharisees. He won't baptize unless you actually show that you have repented of your sins. Matter of fact, he called them a bunch of snakes. He said, I'm not baptizing you bunch of water moccasins. I won't baptize you. And they were using that against John. And now their jealousy and their envy of John in his decrease, they are using the words he baptizes all men. And John's reactionary statement concerning the attempt of his disciples to pit him against Jesus and his disciples was a statement. And here's his statement. He must increase and I must decrease. John was not bothered by his declining popularity. Scarcely will you find a man that can embrace decline. Scarcely will you find a man 
that will embrace decrease. He knew, John knew that the self-life was going to hold him back from the reward that he was born for. A great preacher once said the self-centered life is marked by constant conflict. Once you begin to live for yourself and once you begin to exalt yourself and once you begin to extol yourself and and set yourself up as the example by which every other person in the church is measured by, you'll find your life marked by conflict at every turn and at every corner. I may only be here today to give you a moment of pause. God may have sent me here only for the purpose of sobering you with some humility this morning, but there are three factors in this passage that will help us to embrace the discipline of decrease. They are very simple, and I'll be brief in what I give to you this morning. Number one, very, very elementary outline. Number one, decrease is personal. Notice what is said in verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's been said you may get too big for God to use, but you'll never be too small for God to use. We note, first of all, the personal pronoun I in verse number 30. It is not he must increase, but you must decrease. It is not he must increase, but we must decrease. It is he must increase, but I must decrease. John took it personally. And I'm praying that the Holy Ghost will make this personal for all of us today. John was never a rival to Jesus. In fact, John clearly recognized his inferiority in his role to be the, the one who led the way, who prepared the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1, 27, it was John that said, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I'm not worthy unloose and the way that John replied to his disciples must have taken them back and I believe with all of my heart in verse number 27 they were taken back by this I mean this was you talk about a shocking message they didn't expect John to respond to this complicated situation like he did and verse number 27 John answered and said a man can I love this brother Chris a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven but wouldn't it be best if we all just embrace that fact right there? You are what you are because God made you what you are. Matter of fact, I'd rather be a heavenly made man than a self-made man any day. God makes us who we are. I'm not going to tap into everything I preached on yesterday on a handful of dirt, but I'm going to tell you something, neighbor. We better be careful about trying to build an image and a reputation for ourselves. The Bible says that Jesus made himself of no reputation, but he took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Listen, it's one thing to die for a cause. It's another thing to be tortured to death for that cause. 
He did not just die. He died even the death of the cross. And the Bible said, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is when he made himself of no reputation, he embraced servitude that God saw that uh, he saw that vacating of his deity. He was always God. He never ceased being God. He was God in the manger. He was God at Galilee. He was God at Judea. He was God on the cross. He was God in the grave. He never stopped being God. But the Bible tells us that he humbled himself. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he humbled himself and he dismissed his own reputation and God exalted him. And if we humble ourselves, the Bible still promises us that God will exalt us in due time. If God chooses to end our ministry, we have to be content with that. Everything in ministry, including our popularity, everything in ministry, including our meetings, everything in ministry, including our exposure, is a gift from God Almighty. We do not manage our own ministries. God is the master of our ministry. God is the master of our service. We are not entitled to anything. We are servants of Almighty God. And nobody minds being called a servant until, some, until someone starts treating you like one. The statement of verse number 28 is emphatic. It's a rebuke. John said to those disciples, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. John had never said anything that would account for their misunderstanding. John never made one statement that gave anybody the eye. Y'all getting anything out of this today? John never made one statement that gave anybody the idea that he thought he was more important to the kingdom than the king was. Amen. This didn't come from John. This come from a bunch of Twitter accounts. This come from a bunch of Facebook posts. This come from a bunch of gossiping preachers. This didn't come from John. None of this stuff was started by John. All of this stuff was followed when they knew John was great. Jesus said he was great, and they began to pit Jesus against John. You better be careful about letting that happen. On the contrary, he strongly maintained over and over and over again, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. I am not he that should come. I am the one that will prepare the way. And when John saw Jesus increase in popularity, it did not make him jealous at all. It brought him joy. The measure of our success for as a man of God is not how many people follow us, but how many people follow the Christ. Number one, decrease is personal. Number two, verse number 30 again, decrease is prioritized. I want to bear down on this word must in verse number 30. It's a word that is used commonly in the Gospel of John. In fact, if you'll do a synopsis of the Gospel of John, you'll find the word must over a dozen times, time after time after time. 
Truth be told, major truths are introduced with the use of the word must. It must happen. This is a must. This is not up for debate. Y'all listen to me. This is not up for discussion. This is not up for debate. This is not up for litigation. I don't need a motion and a second and all in favor raise your right hand on this. This must happen. This is the business of our lives. He must increase. He must increase. As Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Time after time after time in the Gospel of John, you study it for yourself. Time after time after time, the essentials of ministry are underscored with the use of the word must. He must be exalted. He must increase. And I must decrease. A little bit of a Greek word study. Look at the word must repeated twice in verse number 30, equaled in the same the Greek third person singular active present expresses the necessity of two things. It means this, there, must, there is a must in increase and increase and there's a must in decrease. It is equally the same. They do not cancel each other out. They complement one another. While he increases, there must be a decrease. It is important that he increases and while it is important that he increases, it is also equally as important that you, sir, decrease. That you you, ma'am, decrease. Less of you and more of him. What we surrender to God, he takes. What God takes, he cleanses. And what God cleanses, he fills. And what God fills, he uses. He must increase. And I must decrease. Sometimes I quote from men that you may agree or disagree with. I read behind just about everybody. I read behind a man the other day that I don't agree with altogether. But he made this statement, and I thought that it was solid gold. He said, Brother Samuel, Brother Freed, he said, there is no such thing as success and failure. He said, there is no such thing as success and failure. There is only obedience and disobedience. This idea that a church full of people is a symbol of success this idea of a hundred baptisms a year is success. This idea of getting your name into a certain Christian periodical is a, is a factor, is a measure of success, is far from what the Bible teaches us. There's no such thing as success and failure, friend. There is obedience and there's disobedience. There is obedience and there is disobedience. Decrease is personal. Decrease is prioritized. Mickey Kofer, one of my favorite missionaries in our program, Mickey Kofer said it best. He said, we should have a much greater cause than ourselves. Number three and lastly, notice with me in verse number 30 that decrease is proportional. It is not only personal and prioritized, it is proportional. There are two pronouns in verse number 30. One represents you and the other represents Christ. 
Both of them are capitalized in our English Bible. He is Christ, and I represents you and I. He must increase, and I, but I must decrease. There are two opposing factors that are set against each other in that. This is not a, this is not a, a, a fight between disciples. This is a battle that rages, a conflict that rages inside of all of us. Only a person, Brother Elkins, only a man who has embraced decrease can say, ye meant it for evil, and God meant it for good. Only a man who has embraced decrease can say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Only a man who has embraced decrease can say, we are troubled on every side and yet not distressed, persecuted but not forsaken, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Only a man who has embraced increase can say that. The Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. If you'll study the structure of that, it literally means that if Jesus were still alive, they would still be scourging him. If Jesus were still alive, they would still crucify him. The world hasn't changed their mind about Jesus. If Jesus Christ were still alive on this earth, they would still crucify him. They would still spit upon him. They would still pluck his beard from his precious face. They would still strip him naked. They would still scourge the precious body of the darling son of God. But he is not here. And so Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The punishment that they wanted for him, I willingly embrace that punishment. Decrease is proportional. The more of him, the less of us. And truth be told, the more there is of us, the less there is of him. Would you agree with me when I say that John had a lot of decreasing to do? I remind you that Matthew eleven eleven and said, The Lord Jesus himself said, Verily I say unto you that among them that are born of women, and unless you came here in a UFO that's talking about you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And then he said this, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Decrease is proportional. John was the greatest man that ever lived. And in his message, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John was the greatest preacher that ever lived, the greatest preacher that ever preached, the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest forerunner who ever prepared the way. And it was that man that said, I must decrease. He had a lot of decreasing to do. And John illustrated his subservient. I want to give you everything I can get out of this. I only have a few minutes with you, so let me give you everything that I can get out of this. John illustrated his subservient role using a familiar imagery of a wedding in verse number 29. Notice he said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Of course, this would be a Jewish wedding, and I'm, I'm, I don't have any Jewish heritage, but I, can, I hope that I can trust what I have read on this subject matter. And I found this 
to be true that John did not cast himself in the role of the bridegroom, but of the friend of the bridegroom. John is just the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the center of attention. He's the one standing beside him. The friend of the bridegroom would be very much like our best man. Now, the weddings back then were much different than they are now, but the friend of the bridegroom was the one that actually brought the bride to the bridegroom and presented her to him. And John said, that's me right there. And when my time comes and goes, my success will be measured by my obedience just to bring people to him, just to get people to where he is. Now, I don't have to get my name in a Christian paper. I don't have to have my name in lights. If I can just do what he, what I was born to do, then I'll be fine with how everything else plays out. They killed John because of his preaching. His decrease, uh, when I think about how that man died, and I, I, I need to stop right here and say this, when I think about how John died, it's a grotesque way to die, a beheading. He died because he preached on adultery. He died because he told Herod, it's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And by the way, that's still true today. And preachers are still getting themselves in trouble for preaching like this in this generation. And he died because of, he was, because of his faithfulness. He was put in prison. Hear me well. He was put in prison not because of a felony, but because of his faith. And there he died. God's man. In the middle of it all, his decrease became so substantial that he actually questioned, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And Jesus sent the disciples of John back to him and said, You go back and you tell John that the blind have received their sight, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed. And I like this one, Brother Stafford, because this gets me and you in on the story. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. John knew who Jesus was because of those words and because of those factors. And his decrease became very personal. He decreased. And as the Lord Jesus increases in my life, all that he is increases along with him. As the Lord Jesus increases in my life, proportionally there are virtues about my life that will go up as he goes up. But as long as we leave Jesus on a low level in our lives, there are things we'll never be able to enjoy or enter into the fullness of. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. As he increases, his peace increases. He said, I'm going to give you a joy that the world won't be able to take from you. And as he increases, that joy gets bigger. And bigger. And bigger. But until he increases, that joy is just going to stay. I mean, in germ form, listen, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Everything that you needed, you got it the day that you got saved. The joy of the Lord, victory. He said, he said this is the victory that overcometh the world. I love this, Brother Hewitt. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Listen, at the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you got the victory. He made you an overcomer right then. Right at that moment, he made you an overcomer. And the more you allow him to increase, the greater the victories, the greater the joy, the greater the peace. 
that he gives, the happiness, the blessedness, the contentment, the dedication. I'm told that in the days of the New Testament, when a large crowd was gathered for the appearance of a king, customarily, the largest crowds that gathered would gather around the forerunner because they knew where the forerunner was, the king would soon appear. The crowds that John drew were amazing crowds. He preached to thousands. His preaching was just like the preaching of Jesus. He had all, he had all, of, the, he had all of the trappings of a divine ministry. And when John preached, can you imagine listening there and listening to John the Baptist sitting there and listening to him preach? But he knew that he was only there until the king got there. And when the king got there, his days would close. And you know what John said? Brother Coker, I love this. John said, that's fine with me. Because he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's stand together this morning. It's not about big names and impressive auditoriums. It's not about substantial congregations. It's not about full calendars. And I have to be honest with you, I've wanted some of all of that. I, I can't tell you that It'd be unnatural. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I didn't want another way. I've wanted that. I've wanted the full calendar, and I've wanted the big auditorium, and I've, I've wanted a substantial congregation. The fact is, we all come to a place in our lives where we realize it has to be about Him.